Hey, this is a special edition of Better Canes Podcast. I have co-host and producer of the Fours Up Podcast, the Miami Hurricanes Podcast, Jordan, with us. And today's a very sad day. What's going on, Jordan? Um, you know, it, like like you said, man, it's a sad day today. Uh, just I don't know. It's I'm doing good though. How are you? I'm I'm hanging in there. I'm doing all right. I was uh doing my daily walk for exercise. It was probably say what we're talking about now edward van haland the virtuoso guitarist extraordinaire goat of all time leader of van halen has passed away today what is this the 7th october 7th of 2020 he was only 65 years old and you know i was scrolling i was playing some jokes on twitter today doing my usual goofy stuff and i came across your tweet and you know how the mind plays tricks on you when i read it it didn't process immediately. I read it as if Eddie's father had died. Yeah. I was like, oh, old man Van Halen passed away. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, no. I saw that it was from Wolfgang, and I was like, oh, no. And it was like a punch right to the chest. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I'm from a younger generation, right? I was born in 1993. Um, I started to get into Van Halen um probably 2002 so as a nine-year-old maybe 10 years old um and like i've always worried about this day that's probably weird to say but he was like such an impactful figure because i've always just been very in tune with music you know like like music has has kind of governed my emotional balance as a human for as long as i can remember and uh, he's by far the most impactful figure in my life when it comes to music. And uh, so I've I've actually been thinking about how I'd react, how I'd feel, um, uh, you know, when when Ed passed away. And, and I don't know, I'm I'm not sure it's quite set in yet because like I I haven't really felt anything. Um, but I've connected with a few good friends and you know people that I used to hang out with, listening to Van Halen, and, and you know people that I haven't spoken with in a few years and, and uh, you know, so that that's been a positive thing is just connecting over those good memories of, you know, the Van Halen always being the soundtrack to those type of things. Right. You talk about the soundtrack to your life. Like, yeah, I guess I was young when Van Halen one came out mm-hmm. and then, and two, I probably like really got into my Van Halen stride with fair warning uh-huh great album right and we came out you know i grew up in fort lauderdale which was party central at the time in the early 80s you know i graduated high school in 85 so that whole era was my stomping grounds mm-hmm. and being a young kid and everything and i mean fort lauderdale was so crazy back then and coming out of you know i listened to zeppelin and sabbath you know yeah. pretty masculine bands that are pretty dark you know, what mm-hmm. I mean, they had their own virtuoso guitar players and everything. But I remember like it was yesterday going to my first like high school keg party in ninth grade. So I would have been like 13 or 14 and v- Van Halen fair warning playing. And the girls were so friggin hot at this party. I mean, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale girls are legendary anyway. And they were like really legendary in the 80s. You had all the Hawaiian tropic models and bikini models and wet t-shirt contests all over the beach and stuff. And I remember just walking in, whether it's like um, 
you know, almost famous or, you know, entourage has those cool party scenes or whatever. And me and my boy, like we just smoked and we walked into the party and Van Halen's playing. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable because it's not, they weren't like as dark as Uh like Zeppelin and Sabbath, which girls like too, but they like it in a different way because girls don't dance to Zeppelin and Sabbath, but they dance to Van Halen. Yeah. And I remember just being like, Who, this is Van Halen. This is yeah. the band that Gene Simmons found. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't brushed up on my Van Halen history in, in the last few years. But but I mean, really, like when when I obsess over something, I go 150 percent at it. And so, you know, in my teenage years, I was I mean, I, I literally probably was a historian of the band. Right. And uh you know, I, there's some quote from David Lee Roth somewhere, you know, from like 1983 or something where someone asked him, you know, like, what's the essence of Van Halen? And, uh, you know, he just I mean, he has a lot of quotes where he says different things. One time he says, like, Van Halen's a mix of religion and hockey or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just typical weird Dave stuff. And uh, but one of the things that he says is he's like, he's like, at its core, Van Halen is dancing music. You know, it, it's yeah. like they only put out music that you would want to dance to. Right. Um, so, I mean, just adding on to what you said, you know, they brought a different flavor to, to heavy metal. Um, if you'd classify them as that, um, as, as to what was going on at the time. Cause I mean, listen to a song like dance the night away and try not to dance. It's impossible. Right. right. Yeah. It brought a totally different vibe coming out of the seventies you had all those guitar gods. You had Clapton, Page, Beck, Keith Richards, other guys. And Van Halen like ran through those dudes like Devin Hester. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not to knock any of those guys. Everybody's got their own thing. But it was like they all looked at each other and are like, what are we going to do now? You yeah. know, they did it. They all said the same thing the first time they saw Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Whatever, the, you know, the big scene where Clapton called, I think it was... I forget it was George Harrison or somebody, or he called Jeff back and he was like, dude, we're done. Yeah. Like, it's over. <laughs> yeah. And then there's an- another one, I guess it was probably 81. So I would have been 14. Uh-huh. I was already a very bad kid. Like I said, <laughs> growing up in Fort Lauderdale, the drinking age was 18 then. Yep. And drugs were very heavy. We we're all doing a lot of partying and stuff. And I went, I think my second concert ever was Van Halen. Okay. So it would have been like 81 or 82. Yeah. And I remember going and we're taking quaaludes and painkillers and all this stuff. And I saw a guy like passed out in his own puke at the Hollywood Sportatorium. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard <laughs> of the Hollywood Sportatorium here, uh-huh. but I can just, you've been in South Florida, right? I haven't. I haven't actually. Okay. When you get here, you'll figure it out. Marshall, no. The Hollywood yeah. Sportatorium was a big box venue enclosed mm-hmm. with, um, vents at the top like just it was almost built like a castle with i forget what those things are called it had no air conditioning oh geez so if you know anything about south florida all we uh, cherish here is air conditioning yeah so it would be so hot in there so i go into van halen with a couple of older friends and we walk in and i see a guy like lying in his puke (laughs) (laughs) like trying to get up or whatever and like you know the event staff the bouncers or whatever you want to call them are kind of kicking the guy's feet like come on buddy you got to get up and i'm like holy crap this is the second concert i've ever been to yeah so went to a few more concerts and then like a year or two van halen 
came back. I walk into the arena, into the Hollywood Sportatorium, and the same guy is like on his <laughs> hands and knees trying to get out of his puke. And I'm like, is that what concerts are? Like just the yeah. same Groundhog Day? And I ended up getting knocked out yeah. at the concert because we pushed our way all the way up to the front, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, to the railing. I also blew my eardrum out. Not just from Van Halen, but probably like 60% of it was Van Halen because I thought it was cool to be right in front of the speaker stacks. Yeah. And I got into it with the the bouncer, security, whatever you want to call those guys. And I'm 14. I'm probably like 120 pounds, tiny, (laughs) and just running my mouth. And the next thing you know, like MMA style, I'm looking at the ceiling of the Hollywood Sportatorium. I'm like, what what just happened? And they're like, the bouncer knocked you out. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. And I was like, wow, what happened? They're like, you were just kept running your mouth or you were giving yeah. a finger to him and this and that. And he slugged you. And I'm like, went back up to the guy and I was like, dude, you just hit me. He's like, don't make me hit you again. And I was like, dude, all the drugs I'm on, I felt nothing. I'll see you at Van Halen 3. <laughs> so I know that yeah. you, um, what did I just hit something? An ominous bass tone. So talk a little bit about you have a Frankenstrat. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I, uh, let's see how old would I would have been? I, I think it was probably fourth grade. So I mean, what is that? Nine and 10 years old. Um, that's when I like first heard Van Halen really got into classic rock. I, I had been a fan of pop punk before then, you know, like blink One Eighty Two and some 41. Right. Um, and this is probably the year 2002 ish, 2003. And, uh, so I, I just, you know, I, I hear Van Halen, and I'm just so captivated by the guitar playing, um, you know, and their harmonies were amazing. And it just like just the overall vibe, you know, it, it was just like something I didn't know existed. Um, and so I immediately, like I said, you know, become obsessed 150 um, percent. I'm listening to all classic rock, but especially Van Halen. Um, they were always my favorite from the genre. Um, and uh, yeah, man, so my brother and I. Um, he's five years older than me, but so he, he gets a guitar and, uh, I, I decide to play the drums. You know, I, I wanted to play the guitar, but you know how, I mean, I don't know if you have a brother or not, but it's kind of what happens, right? It's like, we decide we're going to be Van Halen. And of course the younger brother plays the drums instead of the guitar. (laughs) Right. So, so I started playing the drums. I played it for, played them for a few years. Um, you know, like we actually got pretty good. I remember, you know, my, my parents were supportive and stuff and helped us out, get all the stuff that we, we needed. And, uh, I remember we, we had a PA system oh, and, uh, like we'd be playing the song from Van Halen one, feel your love tonight. Um, and I was like 11 years old and I was playing the drums and singing. And my <laughs> brother was just like, he could hit every note in that song, you know, on the yeah. guitar. And, uh, like it just went from there, you know, even like fifth grade, I, I remember they make you do like your first research project or whatever, like they call it your great brain, right? Some stupid thing for whatever. And, uh, I did mine on, on Van Halen and like the history and, and for my project, my brother and I set up in the, um, in the cafeteria of my elementary school, my teacher let us play like a whole bunch of Van Halen songs for everyone. And, uh, so yeah, so like that was my childhood. And then my brother, you know, goes off to college, like moves on with his life, whatever. And, uh, left his guitar rig at home 
And that's when, you know, I was like, I've been waiting for this. Like, <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to play the guitar instead of the drums. So, uh, like, I just, I stopped playing the drums and I, you know, I taught myself how to play the guitar from a Van Halen tab, uh, like a tablature book. Right. And then, uh, you know, and, and he had like a, he had like a Kramer 1984 reissue that I learned on that he had spent all of his money on. With like the banana headstocks? Yep. Yep. Still yeah. have it. Still have it. And, uh. But yeah, dude, I love that banana headstock. But yeah, um, and uh, let's see, yeah, and then just you know, as like a pet project, I just uh, decided to build my own. You know, I I pieced it together, bought a uh, Stratocaster um, replacement neck on eBay. I found, uh, I'm man, I'm trying to think of all the woods because I I built it as as accurate as possible. I think it's poplar ash, or is is yeah. it poplar or is it ash that Eddie used? I think it's ash actually. Yeah. Um, so I I found an ash body, um, that was like a, uh, you know, the single 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 like a Stratocaster, um. And I chiseled it out so it was, you know, would fit a humbucker. And oh, I'm like, wow. 15, yeah, I'm like 15 at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just handmade it. I had some help from, you know, people that, uh, like the guy that lives behind me does laser etching. And, you know, so he helped me, like, um, you know, home make a few parts that we needed to make it fit. He helped me make the cuts for the Floyd Tremolo or the Floyd Rose Tremolo. And, uh, I mean, I did it as accurate as possible with making it functional yeah. to that original like Van Halen one guitar because it's it's the white with black stripes. Yeah. So yeah, I put a Floyd Rose on it. Um, it has like the old cream colored Stratocaster tone knob, you know, for instead of a volume knob. And right. uh, yeah, man, I I mean, it's just it's cool stuff. I actually um, haven't played the guitar much in a few years. But uh, I had to restring it today, and uh, you know when when you texted me to to do a pod today, I was I was playing a a very poor rendition of "Ain't Talking About Love" along with the 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 song, you know, along right. with the track off my phone. So yeah, it's crazy. I was playing, I was playing Mean Streets earlier, very, <laughs> very poorly. Can you can you do the slap part at the beginning? No. Okay. I can just do the main lick. Yeah, and that's like, how I am. I, I was, I've never been a great guitar player. I'm, I just play licks. I don't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now you strung up the Frankenstrat today with a Floyd Rose on it. Yeah, yeah. It took me like an hour and a half. <laughs> did you go string by string? Yes, I did. Yeah, like I'm terrified of the Floyd Rose. Oh, so, it sucks, man, it sucks. I just go through. Like, I guess I'm doing pretty good now because I only have two floyd rose guitars but uh-huh. if i break a string it's going to become a situation where i have to get uh somebody to come pick the guitar up and like take it to somewhere and have them do it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it's a pain i think that's why it's been sitting on my guitar rack for two years with a broken low e string um but you know i finally i finally just decided today was the day like i had to i had to do it right yeah, yeah. so yeah, I strung it all up. It's, I mean, I sound terrible. It's, you know, the strings aren't stretched out yet, so the guitar sounded terrible. And, <laughs> but, but uh, it's it's the, it's the symbolism, right? Right. 
So yeah, definitely. Like I wanted to, um, you know, I was always into Gibsons and Les Pauls and stuff. <laughs> and then I started, like we've talked about before on your podcast, I got into Charvel's and I think uh-huh. Wayne Charvel made that black and white one or Eddie brought it to him because he was like stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Something and, like that. And then Wayne made the bumblebee, the black and yellow one, which uh-huh. I think is buried with dime bag. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I got all into um, the technical specifics of it. Not like really trying to mimic Eddie's playing, but I just wanted to see the difference between pickup-mounted pickups and Uh direct-mounted. You know what I mean? Like Eddie took that pick guard off, that Strat pick guard off, and just... um, Mounted it right into the wood. Weren't some of them nailed? Did he have nails in something? (laughs) Probably. There probably was. Yeah. I mean, he did all kinds of weird stuff. Like he, uh, he, he nailed a quarter under his Floyd Rose bridge. Cause you know, most of them are, um, they go both ways, right? Yeah. You can bend the pitch up and then just the traditional, uh, bending the pitch down. And, uh, so the like original Floyd Rose concept had that on his and he hated it. So he like, he nailed a quarter underneath it. So it would only go one way. Right. Now that's a cottage industry. Those guys sell them the blocks. Yeah. That's like a big thing. I don't dare mess with it. I'm like so afraid to even tinker with that Floyd Rose because it's actually set up good. I had, I used to have a really good Luther, Luthier, and he just disappeared off the face of the earth. (laughs) Weird. Like he made a killer guitar for Stevie Ray Vaughan that Stevie played on stage. I mean, this guy was amazing. And then all of a sudden, I can't find him. Like with the internet and everything else, like, dude, you went off grid? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I so I built my Frankenstrat with a like um it doesn't have a cavity there. So it's just like hard mounted just like a, a normal bridge would be. Um right. you know, so there's a there's a natural block. So mine mine doesn't bend the pitch up at all. Right. Yeah. I I thought about doing a quarter, you know, just like yeah. well, I guess if I would have made it red, I would have done a quarter, but um you know, just the just for authenticity, but I decided to stop at black just because the white and black because I like the way it looked. Yeah. And do you have the single, like you like you said, the tone knob for the volume? Yep. Yep, I did that. I I ordered a set and then just threw the the other tone knob and volume one away, <laughs> and uh, it just kept the one tone knob. You know, just like a normal Strat. So. Yeah, uh, the one my number one Charvel now has it's new. I think it's uh, a 2018 or 2019. The tone knob has the 10 position takes the circuit out. Okay. So it's effectively not there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then yeah. one through nine is your traditional tone. But once you hit the 10, you can feel like a little indention. And now the circuit's out. Okay. And, and then so you use it as like a, uh, as like a kill switch type thing. It's not a kill switch. It just takes the tone away. Okay. You know what I mean? It takes the uh, the um, the tone knob out of the circuitry, so you just have the volume knob. Okay, so I see. Not, so you're not going through the tone circuit. And then the volume knob is a push-pull that has the outer um, coils. You can run it like as a single coil. You can okay. run it with like one and four or two and three. I don't, I don't yeah. even have to memorize. A coil tap is what yeah. they call it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I have that. Uh, one of my other guitars, I have a uh, like a Japan made ESP Horizon. Yeah, it's what a lot of the power metal players play. That's why I yeah. bought it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that has a coil tap on it. I I actually really like those. Um, you know, you get a very versatile sound. Yeah, those ESPs, man, those things are phenomenal. Yeah, I love yeah. ESPs. Yeah, so I got it the last year. Do you know how they switched to like the E2 thing? Yeah. Yeah, so I got the last year of the ESP standard series before they right. switched to to E2. So so mine has like the ESP on the headstock, but it's the you know, it's it's essentially the same class of guitar as what you'd be buying for a, you know, an E2 for like 1700 bucks or whatever. Right. So yeah. yeah, for a while there, this Japanese ESP factory was just killing it. It's amazing yeah. how, just depending on what year it is and what country, mm-hmm. where the good guitars are coming from. Yeah. You know, yeah, like a, a Strat built in California, you know, costs, you know, 2500 or, you know, yeah. $3,000 or whatever. And the one built in Mexico is like 900 bucks, 800 yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, who do you think is building the one in California? Mexicans. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't get the whole it's not like, you know, it's Detroit where there's a bunch of Andy Reid looking dudes and they're putting those guitars together because it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right. So oh man. Yeah. I dude, it's just it's a weird day. It's it's so weird. Just very weird. Thinking, you know, I I mean I just have so many memories. I mean I don't know. I so like like we were saying, you know, I I wasn't around to like witness the explosion of Eddie Van Halen onto the scene at the time, you know. But as a guitar player, like you listen to music up until 1978, and the guitar sounds a certain way, right? You know, even even the greats, even Jimmy Page, even Jimi Hendrix, right? Even you know Eric Clapton, and and these other dudes that are virtuosos in their own right, like the playing style like just was a certain way and then you listen to van halen one and you would guess that that album was from 1987 right like it was so futuristic tone his tone is so nasty yeah and just like the the techniques that he's using you know the artificial harmonics and the and the two-handed tapping and the you know the dive bombs i mean no one did dive bombs because there was no technology for it like you know, like Eddie Van Halen created a sound that then the Floyd Rose dude had to figure out and he had to engineer the hardware for it. Right. You know, like like right. that that started because of the dive bombs on on eruption. Yeah. You know, um, and I mean, you can read into that like I don't have you ever read how Eddie did his old guitar um, to make it so he could do that. No. So from what I remember, he would use a brass nut. And he would file the the grooves in it so that the strings wouldn't snag, you know, so right. th- they could. Uh, and then he'd grease it so the the strings could move in that in that nut. Right. And then uh, what else was it? He'd do something else. I I think he rearranged the spring tension on right. on the the block in the back of his guitar. And then, uh, yeah, he'd do that. So in the dive bombs, like, you know, the, the strings would just glide through that, that nut that he sanded down and, and chiseled out and greased. And so, you know, he would maintain his tune better. 
And then uh, he he said that he'd have to like snap it back. So he would go down and then he'd kind of crank it when he pulled up to like snap it back into tune as best as possible, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah it's it, so crazy. And the line is so thin, like, okay, all the virtuoso stuff that Van Halen did and mastered the double handed tapping and everything. And so many imitators, but like you're saying, like it's dance music and girls like it too. Girls yeah. love Van Halen, but you tick one degree to the right, like to the nerdiness of it to say Steve Vai or Malmsteen yep. and you lose the girls immediately. Like, yeah, yep, that's not it. <laughs> and, and it's not me, just about tapping or super fast arpeggios. It's uh-huh. much more complex. It's groove. It's everything. Yes. yes. And, and there's, I mean, to me there, you could never make a definitive case or, or have a definitive discussion on who's the greatest ever. Right. Right. But, but to me, it is Eddie Van Halen um, for, for that reason, like the, the point that you're bringing up and, and to expound on it is, you know, not only did he, become one of the greatest virtuosos but he turned them into smash hit singles right. which is like nobody else really did that like no you know you know like you said you listen to steve vai and and you know no it's radio. like it's a bunch of yeah it's a bunch of virgins that listen to steve vai really yeah. you know and, and guitar nerds right right <laughs> but Malmsteen, um, nothing yeah. um yeah. And, paul gilbert you know, yeah yeah, I mean Michael Angelo Badio or whatever his name is. Oh wow! Like say, <laughs> yeah, it's just like full page ads in Guitar Player magazine. Like, who is this guy? Yeah, with like six necks. Yes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but but David, sure, David Lee Roth helped with that a lot. But I think it's Eddie's rhythm playing. Like if you if you listen to the way that he phrases just like the the little rhythm stuff, like in all the ghost notes and like yeah. weird stuff that he's doing during the the verses of these songs, like it's just mind blowing to think that he's actually probably a better rhythm guitar player than right. a lead guitar player. And and I think that's the secret to Eddie Van Halen right, right there. Is yeah. is the dude had an immaculate ear for for good tunes. But then he's also probably the best rhythm guitar player of all time. And all then time. lightning fast right hand. I mean, you just can't pick as fast as he does. And then, uh, you know, just whatever. And and he doesn't even like play music theory. Like maybe maybe that's a thing, you know, like humans are kind of weird in how they pick up sound. Because uh-huh. like things naturally sound right or wrong to your brain. You know, right. like I don't I don't know the science behind it. But this dude doesn't play in like traditional modes because right. he, did, he didn't know him. He plays, I mean, they again, they came up with names for what he did after the fact. Like, I think they call him like a like a box scale or something. Is that is that yeah. what it's called? Like a symmetrical mode or something. And essentially, he broke all the rules. And to quote him, he said, When I play the guitar, it's like I fall down the stairs but land on my feet, right? Because as right. long as you start on the root note and end on the root note, it's working if it sounds good. Right, right. And like, Hend- like Hendrix, just keep bending it until it sounds good. <laughs> right, right. So like, I don't know. I, I Maybe there's something to that, that just the fact that he, you know, defied the traditional modal tones that we're used to hearing with guys like Randy Rhodes and Steve Vai that were into a more like neoclassical thing. Yeah. Um, You know, so maybe... 
it was that plus being smart enough to just know if it sounded good or not, you know? Like, because some people have weird gimmicks like that and they just don't sound great. Yeah. It's funny. Like, all the greats, they find their own thing. Like, yeah. for all the kids that can play Eruption pretty good or that don't understand why Hendrix was so great, and you're like, dude, those guys made that up out of nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, you can sit there with YouTube videos and tabs and figure out um, eruption if you're young enough yeah. and have the time to put it in. But can you make something out of nothing that yeah. makes people just like their jaw hit the floor? Yeah. And, and I think one thing that's underrated and is lost in modern technology for guitar, you know, because a lot of these guys have like uh, computer modeling right. tones, you know, they like nobody plays through an actual amp anymore. No, even in live shows, you know, they play, they plug into their laptop, which is plugged into a big cabinet. Right. Um, and, uh, like what's lost in that is like the attack of your, of your fingers and your picking hand, which I think is very underrated in how these guys get their tone. You know, like I could play a eru- Well, I can't, but if I did play eruption note for note, it wouldn't sound the same. No. Even if I played it on Eddie Van Halen's like, like on his guitar through his setup, it wouldn't sound the same because like, I, I don't, you know, he had a very unique aggressive way of attacking the notes that he had played. It yeah. just was like, I don't know. It, like that's, that's nuance that you just can't recreate. I forget yeah. who it was. Maybe it was Ted Nugent was playing with Eddie. They were somewhere together. So he's like, let me pick, let me see this guy's rig. So yeah. he picked it up and played it and sounded just like Ted Nugent. And then Eddie yeah. picked up, you know, uh, what's he played? Like a 335 or something, Ted Nugent, like a big Gibson semi-hollow body. <laughs> yeah. And Ed, Eddie still sounded like Eddie. <laughs> yep. Like, and how many kids, I knew a bunch of them growing up that just went out and bought every single thing that Eddie had. The uh-huh. Phase 90, the MXR Distortion yep. Plus, the this and this, everything's the same. And it's like, dude, that's not really the game. It's not, yeah. you can't go buy Devin Hester's sneakers. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, like I was one of those kids. Like my first right. guitar rig was, I mean, I, I could only afford a Marshall solid state, but I had a right. Marshall amp. Um, you know, I, I had the, the EVH branded MXR flanger, the phase 90, the, yeah. you know, I, I got a, like a compressor and, and a smart gate and all that stuff, like just trying to create his tone. And at the end of the day, like you can only do so much, <laughs> you know, right. if you don't attack the guitar the same way that he does, then, you know, then like, I don't know, you could always hear my other influences come out when I'd play. Like right. it just wasn't the same. So I don't know, man, but here, so here's a question that I got for you is just guitar tracks. So, I mean, you mentioned the other day that you do like concentration sessions, right? Yeah. Um, so if, if we're talking that, so we're just talking guitar, I want to hear a few of your Van Halen, your favorite Van Halen tracks. Okay. Favorite is going to be little dreamer. I just think is ill. Just okay. the tone, the riff, yeah. then probably Unchained. Okay. Which is like my personality. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's like the song is practically in 3D and, yeah. mean, and mean Streets too. Yeah. They kind of go together. For sure. And that whole then, album flows yeah. very well. And I'm also cool with Hagar. Okay. Yeah, me too. So I like, um, I mean, 
uh, what's the name of the song? Why can't this be love? Yep. Is that the title? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. That is up there and has a lot of memories. Yeah. A lot of like terrible memories (laughs) because like I said, coming through the eighties and that was, when was that song? 87? 86, 86, yeah, 86. The... dude, it was so bad. I was just losing friends left and right. It was almost like it is now because everybody yeah. was doing so much cocaine. Yeah. And like, I hear that song come on and it's like a punch right in the chin. So I got that. Why can't this be love? I like, um, right now. Okay. But nothing like the Hagar stuff there, you know, they're two different bands. Agreed. They're two different bands and like like some bad remakes of movies should have just been titled something else. And yeah. then it would have actually been a better movie. But so many people were so invested in Van Halen that they just rejected Van Hagar. Yeah. When the Hagar stuff is actually pretty good. Like I watched that. I'm sure you saw it. It was like an hour or two hour documentary on Van Halen. And uh-huh. I was like sick after watching it because I didn't want to know all that. Yeah. I didn't want to know how much of a dildo that David Lee Roth was. <laughs> yeah. Like you knew, you could yeah. tell, like the moment he got free of Eddie, he went and did that gigolo stuff. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he wanted to be like vaudeville with those pants and all this. And yeah. I was never really into it. You know, MTV was huge then or whatever. Yeah. But you were like, God, could you imagine those sessions where yeah. Eddie wants to do this and David Lee Roth wants to sing Sinatra? Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that that tension I think really created something magical with Van Halen though, because I mean, right? It always had. It's always like yeah, that. yeah. Because I, I I was reading so they they poached David Lee Roth from a, a local L.A. band uh, that was called like Red Ball Jet or something, and I'm pretty sure they had like a trumpet player right. or, or something. Like they they were hardly a rock band, right. <laughs> you know, like just doing weird David Lee Roth stuff, and. Uh, you know, I, I think he's always had that energy. I mean, you listen to songs like Ice Cream Man or, uh, you know, like The Full Bug. Yeah, which I, I actually, ain't got I, nobody. Yeah, I, you know, David Lee Roth, he added a weird, a really weird vibe. I mean, he got the most out of one note of anybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, he has no range. Yeah, and, you know, but and just his swagger. Like, like you listen to uh, Take Your Whiskey Home or... Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to think like women and children first is full of weird songs like that, but they're, they're all good though. Um, Oh, I got to push one back into the top five, which has no David Lee Roth in it. Okay. And that is intruder. Oh yeah. Which is like very cinematic to me. Uh I mean, like you can close your eyes and I don't know what you think of. It, it sounds like somebody's tied up and they're gagged and they're screaming. Yep. Yep. And then now it sounds like a scared horse. Like, yeah. <laughs> then it goes right into pretty woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it'd be interesting to hear, you know, which direction Van Halen went if they had a different singer from the get go, you know, say that, you know, like it all lined up that they just had Sebastian Bach from the get go. You know, or, or something like that. Right. It would be interesting to hear, you know, because maybe David Lee Roth added that element that made you want to dance. You know, who knows? Who knows if it was Eddie's guitar playing, which was very melodic, 
or if it was, you know, David Lee Roth's weird, you know, like you said, the, the vaudeville thing. Right. Just his, his cadence and his, I don't know. I don't know the, the right way to, to express what I'm trying to say, but. And at the time, like how everybody in this generation in 2020 is like all into Drake. Uh-huh. Like girls were into David Lee Roth. Yeah. And well, he's a beautiful if you, man. <laughs> if you even had like blonde hair to your shoulders, uh-huh. you were in. You yeah. were in. And you'd see dudes at the clubs and this and that that kind of had the David Lee Roth vibe. And yeah. you're like, oh, he's leaving with any chick in here he wants. Yeah. Just because he yeah. kind of looks like David Lee Roth. Yep. Yeah. I, I have a question. Yeah. Did you or anybody you know ever practice the uh, the jump kick off the high rise off the riser <laughs> thing? Me, no. But yes. <laughs> yes, tons did. Yeah. And tons like like dude, just cuz he can pull off that one-legged spandex thing, don't you dare try that. <laughs> like You know what I mean? Don't yep. you even dare. That's one guy on the planet can pull that off. And yeah. not even like, you know, towards the end there, whatever, when he's losing his voice, uh-huh. like towards the end of the MTV era, you yeah. know, like it's sad because singers and drummers are the first to go in the band yeah. because the voice goes and the drummer just burns so many calories yeah. that their body falls apart. But yes, dudes were doing that. And there was everybody had a Van Halen cover band. There actually used to be yeah. bars here where you could go see bands play. And it's like, you know, the unwritten rule or whatever is like, don't play Stairway to Heaven, you know? And people had to tell these bands, like, go real light on Eddie Van Halen on double tapping and everything. Yeah. Because it's imitation. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's serious imitation. And And speaking of imitation... Um, that's one thing I kind of wanted to touch on and, and hear what you had to say about it being in that scene um, is like the overall impact of, of Eddie and David Lee Roth together um, because you look all around, you know, we, we talked about the spandex and the hair and stuff like that. And, and I mean, to me as an outsider, I would guess looking at history, like that these dudes started the the hairband thing you know because it all i mean all these guys um i'm trying to think of like brett michaels and uh yeah, you know the the, Mot- the motley crew dude and and sebastian bach from skid row and yeah. uh you know they all look like david lee roth just with makeup on yeah <laughs> you know and they're all wearing his same clothes you know, they all have like the feathered hair and all the guitar players sound like Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, they all have the modded Stratocaster just like he did. Yeah. And they're all doing the two hand tapping. And, you know, everyone is just like, I mean, I don't know if people, a lot of people don't even count Van Halen as a hair band. But, I mean, if you think about it, they were they were the hair band. They were definitely a hair band. And everyone like bent their style towards that. Yeah. Because like White Snake, they put out like eight albums where none of them were hair metal yeah. bands. Yep. It was like more like deep purple and blues based stuff. Uh-huh. But they got with a producer and MTV was on fire and they're like, Look, you guys all need to put on makeup and you know, White Snake hit it out of the park for like two years. Yeah. You know, they had huge ballads and huge hits. 
Yeah. Here I go and, again. Yeah. All that, you know, with a crazy guitar player that did double tapping. He busted out the violin bow. Like, yeah. you know, and John Sykes, the guy, really the brains behind that, those two Whitesnake albums, he, he hasn't been heard of since. He's like yeah. a recluse. Everyone asks what he's doing. Then you get guys like we're talking, you know, you take one degree to the right and now you're Ingve or whatever and you have no girls and you're only appealing to nerds. Yeah. And then you go a little bit to the left and there were some guys like, I don't know if you know Jakey Lee. Yep. Yeah. I played with that, uh, Ozzy Bark at the Moon. Bark at the Moon, got robbed by Sharon, never saw a penny. And his band, Badlands, uh-huh. with Ian Gillen, I think, as a lead singer. <sighs> I mean, the, probably the best like imitation Van Halen there is. Yeah. You know, and then Van Halen has to give a nod to Zeppelin. Yeah. Where you had Robert Plant, who looks like Farrah Fawcett. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And Jimmy kind of with the um, sort of the start of the slash look, like the black curls falling over your face and kind of uh-huh. hanging in the background, but being a little bit louder than the singer. Like, yeah. can you imagine the fights? Like For sure. Jimmy Page, like, I want to be louder than the singer. You know, you're my accompaniment. And Robert Plant <laughs> yeah. is like, no, I'm the golden god. Like, you yeah. need to turn down. And you, it, I'm sure there were just brutal epic fights with Van Halen. For sure. You know? For sure. I, I definitely think, you know, from my perspective, that's kind of how I view, you know, because I'm, I'm a history buff, too. And, and um, just the, the lineage of... Um, like the apex of the the rock and roll mountain, right? If if yeah. you like do a cr- uh, chronology of who was there, like it does seem to me like it was Zeppelin and then like Van Halen. Yes, you know, like they they forever changed. Even though, think of how brief that was. I mean, they only had David Lee Roth in the band for seven years. Well, from Van Halen one until his exit, so seventy eight to eighty five. That's seven years, and they right. put out six albums. Right. And I mean, just forever changed rock and roll music. I mean, even yeah. today, even today you see, you see dudes do stuff. I mean, I, so I listen to a lot of the, you know, the cookie monster, like metalcore, um, you know, melodic metalcore type yeah. stuff, uh, where it's like the death metal mixed with pop punk. Right. Right. <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and even still, you'll hear things that Eddie pioneered, like like the uh, they call it like a like a rake, I think, where you you know you mute the strings and and you rake your uh, pick over it, and it kind of makes like a harmonic sound. You still hear dudes do that all the time in 2020, and that is, I mean, the first time I ever heard it was, um, I'll wait. Yeah, or even before he does it on what's the cover track that that kicks off Van Halen two. It was originally by a woman singer. You're no good. Yeah. Yeah. The solo in that one, he does the rake for the first time that I ever heard. And it just like my mind exploded. And you still have people doing that in modern music in different genres. And, and, you know, of course there's so much tapping and, and it's all evolved, but like it all comes back to Eddie Van Halen being like Dr. Frankenstein, you know, like, he he really is. He's the mad scientist guitar player. He literally yeah. took all of his gear apart and made it highly efficient. I mean, he's smarter than these, you know, uh, product engineers that are designing the equipment themselves. And right. he's just like one upping them, you know, constantly changing the voltage of his amps, you know, like 
making patchwork guitars that are, you know, super like highly efficient, more practical. They're lighter weight. They get better tones. Yeah. Um, you know, wiring his own pedals. I mean, he used to make his own pickups, like wind his own uh, pickup coils and then dip them in, in uh, paraffin wax. Right. Yeah, like I'm pretty techy, but yeah. I am not about to hook up a Variac. <laughs> like yeah. that's crazy. That's Frankenstein stuff. That's yeah. like, wait, you're going to change the voltage on a 100-watt amp? Yeah. That can kill you if even it hasn't been hasn't been plugged in in over a year, right? Like the power <laughs> that's stored in that thing can kill you, and yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna crank it up and crank it down, and try to get some different tones. I got another cool Fort Lauderdale story for you. I don't know yeah. if I told it on the pod already, but I went to Fort Lauderdale High School, which was crazy, crazy, and my buddy was a huge drummer. I wasn't into music. I was into sports, but we all hung out, and there used to be a drunk that hung out in the parking lot of the high school that, you know, would sit on a car or whatever. And we'd, you know, me, I've always got something to say. So we'd talk shit or whatever. And he's like, you guys don't even know who I am. And I'm like, no, who are you? And he's like, dude, I wrote the theme to star Wars. And I'm like, John Williams. And he's like, no, I wrote the star spangled banner for Hendrix. And we're <laughs> like, dude, this guy's gone. Like, what are you talking about? So he's like, give me money for beer. He goes, I'm the world's greatest bass player. So I didn't know anything too much about weird music and stuff then. So he ends up in the band room, uh-huh. right? And their kids are trying to get him to play this and that. And the teacher, this is how crazy the 80s were. The teacher goes to 7-Eleven and buys the guy like two tall boy beers uh-huh. on school grounds. Like you'd get, you'd be up on the news now for that. Right? Yeah. Teacher brings beer to school. So the guy takes liquid paper. Do you remember liquid paper? Uh-huh. And makes like Indian marks on his face and then takes the bass guitar outside and holds it up to the sun like he's worshiping it with the liquid paper on his face. (laughs) And he slammed both the beers and he hands the bass back to the music instructor. And he's like, you know, thanks. And the guy goes, I thought you were going to play. And he goes, I just did. And we're all like, what a bust. This and that. So the guy leaves. We're like, dude. Like, I can't believe we had that homeless, crazy guy in here. And the yeah. teacher is like, it's such a sad story. Do you know who that is? And we're like, no. And he's like, that's Jocko Pistorius. Whoa. Do you know who he... Right. I've heard the name, but. Uh... Yeah. Well, he like the first guy to rip the frets out of his bass and play fretless. He ripped the pick guard off so he could get his fingers underneath the strings, like okay. to really yank on them. And he'd be the Van Eddie Van Halen of the bass. Okay. So like a couple years after that, like, you know, we're like, it didn't really resonate until he was at a Santana concert here in, in Fort Lauderdale and Santana recognized him on and was like, Oh, bring him up on stage now. Like the guy had a lot of demons and Fender would send him, you know, 20 bases and he'd just sell them and he wouldn't have a base for a show. He'd have to like beg for somebody in the crowd to give him one or whatever. So Santana's like, come on up here and play. Well, security got confused and they ended up throwing him out because he was totaled Uh, also. Yeah. And he, he went to a bar that's right around the corner from my house and got into it with the bouncer and the bouncer punched him and killed him one shot. Oh, geez. And that's when we've all put it together. Like in high school, it did not come together as it did where we were like, oh my God. Like that guy's the virtuoso bass player of all time. Yeah. And 
when we were teasing him, he's like, I'm the world's greatest bass player. And I'm like, Billy Sheehan, dude, it's nice to meet you. Let me shake your hand. He's like, <laughs> I taught that cat everything he knows. Yeah. Dude, I'm the one that taught Sting this and this and that. And then when they had the funeral here, they all came. Like it was all in the newspaper and it was like nice. uh, attendees were John Paul Jones, Sting, yeah. Billy Sheehan. And you were like, oh, my God, that's the crazy guy that was in our high school parking lot, Jeez. like begging for beers. That's and now amazing. there's a big, yeah, now there's a big park named after him and a big mural. Next time I'm over there, I'll take a picture or whatever. But you're like, you know, real geniuses like Eddie Van Halen. The, the word genius like gets thrown around so much. Yeah. That no, dude, the real geniuses do stuff that's so remarkable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They can play left or right handed and do weird stuff and they, you know, invent things. Mm -hmm. It's just a sad day. And we kind of knew it was coming. I mean, there'd been a lot of rumors about Eddie over the, you know, at least the yeah. past decade. Oh, he had his tongue cut out. I don't know whether yeah. that was true. Yeah. Did you read the stories about him treating it himself? No. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I read a few, you know, in different books and stuff, but according to him, he, like, came up with his own treatment where he'd, like, uh, he'd, like, gargle bleach and then went to Mexico to find a doctor that would cut his tongue out in a certain way, you know, like, part of his tongue. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was he was kind of whacked out for a little bit. I, I think he got into, like, meth or something yeah. in the early 2000s. Um, mid two thousands, but yeah. And he was like convinced that, um, the reason why he got tongue cancer wasn't because he smoked like two packs of cigarettes a day, but because he'd have a metal guitar pick in his mouth in the studio. And, you know, he was like convinced that it was like the electromagnetic pulses or something, or, you know, like, like magnetic waves or whatever from his recording equipment bouncing off his metal pick. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like. He played with a metal pick? Uh, later in life, yeah. Yeah, not oh. not to start, but um, at least that's what he claimed. You know, I, I think it's after Sammy Hagar exited the band. He got into really weird stuff. Yeah. Like, if, if you listen to... You can kind of hear the influence on balance. Um, but he did, uh, he did the soundtrack for, like, a porn movie in, like, 2002. I don't know if you... Uh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I never watched the show, but I remember, you know, when the, like, the videos were coming out of, of the, the songs that he wrote, but he has a track called Catherine. Okay. Uh, with a C. You should definitely look it up, because he made a video of him playing in his studio, and, uh, you know, he looks like he's so, like, addicted to meth, or, or some drug like that, that just, yeah. I mean, because he looks like Golem. And, right. uh, and the music is just very dark, very, um, I don't know what the right, almost like an aural, like dark yeah. quality to it. It's, it's very interesting. Um, but I think it was around that time that he was playing with metal picks cause he got into like Fernandez sustainers and stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think he lost his mind for a little bit. <laughs> It happens, and you don't have it. Like, those guys don't – you don't keep it forever. The magic yeah. doesn't – you know, has a lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that he turned it around, though. You know, I, I think it was probably – so they were actually my first concert as well. Um, I was in fifth grade, saw them in 2004 with Sammy Hagar in oh, Salt wow. Lake City. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I think it was after that tour because he looked rough. You know, Sammy exited the band again. He said that it was... He said it was alcoholism, and he said there was other stuff going on. I, but I think he was alluding to uh, a harder drug that was yeah. involved, um, which I suspect was meth. Hmm, and that's uh, not a good one. Yeah, or or something like that, ketamine. You know, something that takes your soul. Right. Because um, it, you know, you can just look at pictures of him, and you realize that it was it was more than, <laughs> you know, it was more than coke. Right. Right. Um. And, coke uh, doesn't really do nothing. Yeah. And especially if you have money. Like yeah. the big problem with Coke is you need a bunch of it and it costs a lot of money. But yeah. nobody like, you know, expires yeah. or just totally spirals out from doing powder cocaine. It, yeah. You, know, you mess up your nose a little bit and lose a bunch of friends, but not like, the, you know, meth and this sh- shit that's now fentanyl and yeah. stuff. It's just brutal, like destroying you. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know which drug in particular, but it was definitely something like that. You know, it right. changed the way he looked, and it made all of his teeth fall out and whatever. And um, But he really kind of, like, bounced back, you know? They yeah. they put out that album in, in 2012, and, you know, he got a haircut and, and uh, got a, all of his teeth redone and, and started to look normal. So I'm glad that happened. They did all do listen, it. Did you ever listen to that album in, in 2012, A Different Probably Kind not. of Truth? Probably not it's it's okay <laughs> you know it, it's interesting um, i'm gonna do a whole session tonight so i'm gonna yeah. listen to everything yeah well so when when you listen to that album because i i remember because it was like i mean imagine i mean you can probably tell that i was like obsessed right yeah with van halen and them putting out new music with david lee roth in my lifetime that was like one of the biggest days of my life um you know, and I just, man, I put hundreds of hours into that album, even though it was just okay. Um, but they it's actually, a Van Halen album? Yes, with David Lee Roth and Wolfgang on bass. Right, I remember when they threw Fatboy out of the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, it's good. And, and it's, uh, let's see. What's it called? Um, a Different Kind of Truth. It's It has a red cover with like a... I got it, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so when you're listening to it, so you'll you'll probably be able to pick out which ones, but they actually revived a lot of tracks from the old 1974 demo that Gene Simmons listened to. So probably a third to maybe half of the album is tracks that they wrote in the mid-70s. Oh, nice. All right. Yep. And then the other half is stuff that they wrote together, you know, 2011-ish. And and you can hear the difference, especially in the guitar playing. Like his style had changed so much um, over the years that, uh, and and you know Dave's voice is totally blown out right. on the album. It's it's kind of rough to listen to. I actually think if they would have if they would have poached the dude from Steel Panther who does like an immaculate David Lee Roth impersonation, yeah, yeah. they I mean they could have kept going, man. Like they they would have been putting out just hit after hit still. But, uh, <laughs> like Van Halen, like there's just you, you can't ever redo it, or like they say, you know, you can never go home again. Remember, yeah. they signed that other poor singer. Was it the guy from Extreme? Yeah, Gary Sharon. Oh man, that was bad. Right, like don't follow Dan Marino <laughs> and don't follow. <laughs> you know, yeah. at least, at least Hagar had his own thing. Yeah, and came from like a different place. 
He yeah. was older than them. Right, Hagar's got to be seventy something. Yeah, I think I think he is. I think he's like seventy two or something. And yeah. then you, you know you go through phases or whatever. There was a phase there where I just wanted to punch David Lee Roth. Uh-huh. Like he, I blame him for all the talking that singers do when they're on stage. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, is everybody yeah. fucked up? <laughs> yeah. And, and then like doing that between every song. And like, I blame David for that because he would talk and like tell jokes in between. And anytime I see a band with a singer and that band I was talking about the last time we were talking music, which was um, Steve Harris's son's power metal melodic yeah. band or whatever. That kid was doing that. Between yeah. every song was going, how are we doing Fort Lauderdale? Yep. Dude, just do it once and do it at the end. Don't do it in between every song. Yep. Yeah, I, so I, I saw Van Halen again in 2013 with David Lee Roth. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that dude, he was telling stories from, like, 1981 where they were like on a tour bus in Scotland and it just, none of it made sense. (laughs) He was talking for like 20 minutes telling us this one story about him being, you know, like, you know, just, uh, on drugs and alcohol and, you know, like laying on the bench of this bus and looking at, you know, Edinburgh castle upside down (laughs) because he's hanging off the seat. And he just like, you're just like, what is this dude thinking? You know, like, like not even in a bad way, but like, what, like, I want to understand the thought process be, be behind why you're telling me this. But I don't know. <laughs> then, how did you feel about the switch to the Music Man guitar? Um. So here's the thing. Like, I, I liked, I love the tone of that guitar. And I actually, I think the worst Van Halen album, I don't really count Van Halen 3 with, with Gary Sharon. Right. But uh, the worst Van Halen, a huge margin to me, is the 1987 album, the second one with Sammy Hagar, OU812. Right. Like, to me, that is just a really bad album. And uh, maybe only three good tracks. And the guitar tone, I think that's when he switched to... Uh, what amp company was it? PV? Uh, it was between PV. It was, uh, oh shoot, I can't think of it right now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was right before PV. And so he was still using his, his Kramer guitars and he switched to um, Soldano. Soldano. Soldano amp. amps, yeah. Yeah, and his tone man. Like if you listen to like Black and Blue, um, you know, or something like that. Um, I can't think of the other songs right now, but they, they just, the tone is horrible. Looking up the album right now. I just can't do it, man. Um, yeah, it just sounds so muddy and like he's playing into a tin can in the room next door and you just, there's no articulation and it just, yeah, it's really a horrible album, and I think it starts with a really bad guitar tone. Yeah. So when he comes out, the next album playing through a PV amp, you know, the Music Man guitar in For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, it was, I mean, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but in retrospect, like, it's a breath of fresh air. It's, what year it's is a, that? 
1991. Pound Cake. Strong. Yes. Yes, that's the album. Yep, Judgment Day, Spanked, Run Around. Um, right now. Yep. Yeah. You know, Top of the World. That was yep. that song hit number one. Um, I love I love that album. And uh, I, I think his guitar playing, you know, just took a different direction. I mean, maybe to most people it sounds the same, but it sounds it's a different flavor of Eddie Van Halen by that point. Right. You know, his, his like licks, cause he, he has a catalog of licks that he always leans on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those changed. They changed big time because that was coming out of hair metal. Yeah. He had to differentiate himself from every other clone that he birthed the 10 yep. previous years. Yep. Yeah. Whether, and you know, I think Mick Mars or whoever, you know what song? So I was actually listening to this the other day. For some reason I was inspired to do like a, a concentration session you know listening to Eddie van halen playing the guitar i think i was showing my girlfriend um you know because she has no idea about any of this stuff um but the song on balance amsterdam is one of the best guitar tracks of all time okay and like i think the song is okay it kind of like showcases like some of the more annoying things that sammy hagar does right yeah um but if you just listen to the guitar, which the song is it? Point, Amsterdam. Okay. Yeah, it's on their 1995 album. Yeah, Balance, the one with Balance, the Siamese yeah. twins. Yeah. The rhythm guitar in the verse, like it just, oh my gosh, it like makes me physically aroused pretty much. It's so, right. it's so incredible. You know, like that was a song that I've long tried to learn how to play, and I just. Like we, you know, back to the, the not having the right attack and the right feel, like I just couldn't get it to sound the way I wanted it, even though I was hitting every note. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible, man. I, I highly recommend, um, that song specifically, I think best typifies that whole album in the way he plays. Yeah. I'm just making a playlist as we go along here. I'm just keep adding plus plus. Yep. Yeah. Uh... And, and then. Another one, I actually think the three, well, I mean, it seems like Van Halen, no one talks about late 90s Van Halen. Um, and it's because they didn't put out a lot of music. But like the, do you remember when they did the Twister soundtrack, um, Humans Being? Uh, barely. Okay, so I mean, that song is is cool. There's some cool stuff he does with the guitar. But then after they released their um, greatest hits, the best of Van Halen volume one in 1996 that has two tracks that they recorded that year with David Lee Roth that they wrote. Cause like he was back in the band for like three months and then they got in a big fight on MTV at like the, the Grammys or something. And then yeah. they kicked him out, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Cause you know, I, I guess David Lee Roth said that they were going to tour and Eddie's like, no, I need a hip replacement. And, you know, whatever. So they got in a big fight because they're children. They're just grown children. Yeah. And uh, kicked them out. But the, the songs Can't Get This Stuff No More and Me Wise Magic. Just the, the guitar playing just blows my mind, man. Okay, this is two at the end of the album. Yep. Tracks 16 and 17. Yeah. And uh, I think it's Me Wise Magic. He got into something called the Trans Trim. If you know what that is, no. Um, he uses it 
I guess he used it a little bit in the mid eighties too. He used it on like summer nights. Um, but what it is, it's where you can like change the pitch like a Floyd Rose, but then you can lock it in. So you're changing the the key of your guitar mid song, right? So you can push it down to so it's like lowering the pitch, or you can pull it up so it's raising the pitch by uh-huh. like um, I don't know, like three notes or whatever. Yeah. You know, and then and then lock it in so you're all of a sudden playing in, you know, like a D standard or you know C standard or whatever. Oh wow! Like yeah. a moving capo. Yeah, essentially, that's exactly what it is. And uh, he does that on MeWise Magic, and, and there's some there's some cool stuff. I used to play that in my room, and I'd have to like hurry and snap on a capo, or, you know, right. like at a certain part, trying to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> Just I think I think I dinged the neck of that that Kramer reissue with the banana headstock one time that I was trying to get the timing right to snap the capo on. Yeah, and uh, man, I was so pissed. What about a what is that thing called a D tuna? Yeah, ever use that? Yeah, I have one on my Frankenstrat. Okay, they're uh, they're solid. You know, yeah. it's it's not mine isn't precise. Um, I usually have to use the the fine tuners a little bit, um, to get it to be in tune when I use it, but um, it gets the job done. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to you saying the attack and the transience of how he plays and especially like Hendrix and the blues guys that really played on crappy guitars. Mm -hmm. Those guys can actually like retune with their left hand as they play. Like the way they shape their chords, like, okay, this one needs to be a little sharper. This one needs to be a little flatter. So the chords in tune like that blows my mind. Like I can barely tune the thing. Like I'm constantly fiddling, you know, with the tuner or whatever. And to be like, oh, wow, you know, a guy playing an acoustic that's not holding tune, but can make chord shapes and knows how to compensate for all the strings to be in tune. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that's real genius stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's stuff like that, honestly, that made me like stop taking the guitar so seriously (laughs) because I was just like, I think I'm a hobby player, you know? Like, I, growing up, I wanted to be famous playing the guitar so bad. Um, but then, you know, like, the more I learned about it and the more I started to understand the genius of guys like Eddie Van Halen, that I was just like, you know what, I think this is a hobby for me. I, like, I, I just didn't, I didn't have that in me. Right. And nobody does. Like, you can play football and be like, all right, I'm going to do some Barry Sanders stuff. And no. <laughs> yeah. The guy's got yeah. your flag or your tackled immediately. Yeah, <laughs> you you can practice uh like the the no look Patrick Mahomes, right? You know, looking the other way and flinging it forty five yards down the sideline over a guy's shoulder. You can practice that all you want, but it's not going to happen. But you could drum and sing at the same time, and to me, that's like impossible. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I actually wish I would have kept playing the drums. Um, cause I was like 11 when I was doing that and I right. was just getting into the double bass pedal. Um, I actually played in a band with my brother where we played at battle of the bands it, when he was in high school and I was 11 and, uh, yeah. And so like, I was a very competent drummer at a, at a young age. Um, I wouldn't have, you know, I wasn't like a virtuoso or anything or like a, a like a prodigious talent. 
but I was very capable even as a youngster and uh, I just didn't love it. You know, that's one of my regrets though. Cause I, I think as an 11 year old, I was better at the drums than at my peak of playing the guitar. And uh, you know, I, I just, for whatever reason, it just wasn't my calling in life. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Especially now, especially, you know, for the most part, rock and roll's dead. Yeah. Like it's sad. Yep. I mean, the music business is, you can blame a lot of factors. You can blame Napster. Yep. You can blame evolving taste and all this. I think we spoke the last time. I think this is the first time in years that guitar sales are up. Yeah. Because of everybody staying home, they're all ordering guitars and from Sam Ash and from Amazon to try to learn. Mm-hmm. A heads up, I think the entire Fender like college is free like for the next 90 days. Really? You can learn guitar, bass, ukulele. Yeah. yeah That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally I, took advantage of the 90-day free Apple Logic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm not leaving the house. Like, And yeah. then... Yeah, it's like a you know a three hundred dollar program or whatever, and I jumped in, I learned it, and you know did some stuff with it, and you're like, now is the time. Yeah, you know, everyone has time. Absolutely, absolutely. Did you are so you play the guitar? Did you ever get much into the uh, like theory type stuff? Like, um, did you learn all the modes and and you no. can, you yeah? I didn't either, man. I can't do that. No, I don't. I don't have the patience for it. Like I can do, like I said, I like intruder. Uh I can do like sound effects. Uh I find like weird, um, ambient stuff, you know, I have a lot of effects pedals and this and that, but I could never be in a band. Like my timing is so bad when (laughs) me and my buddy jam Uh and I didn't even get a guitar till I think late twenties. Uh huh. And never took a lesson, and it's sad. And you know, you'd lay on the couch watching the game; it wouldn't be plugged in. You just fiddle on it or whatever. Yeah. So I've never like taken it seriously. I liked yeah. buying the guitar more than I liked practicing it. <laughs> Absolutely, like a lot of people. It's more yeah. of a I don't know what that is greed or worship of materialism. Well, I, I think everyone wants the uh, wants the attention of being an incredible guitar player, but not the the work that goes into it. Right. And yeah. the, um, and not just guitars, like I acquired all musical instruments, but I didn't, like I said, the guitar was last, like as a kid, like I always had those keyboards, those Yamaha keyboards and four track recorders and then drum machines and all kinds of stuff. And like anything else, like, I don't know whether it's confidence or arrogance or whatever, but like, I'll pick it up. I can make something happen. You know, no matter what kind of musical instrument it is. And same thing. Like, just the guitars are just so sexy looking. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was crazy for Les Pauls for decades. And then, um, then SGs. Then I went, like, the other direction and just wanted plain. I just wanted, um, you know, a plain looking guitar. And now I'm all obsessed with the Super Strats. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I mean, my first two guitars, so, I mean, I, I stole the that Kramer reissue from my brother. I mean, he has it back now, but 
um, you know, that was what I considered my first guitar. And then I made, um, then I made the Frankenstrat. And then I started to get into like power metal and, and European metal, you know, symphonic metal type stuff. So then I got the ESP and then my taste went more towards like metalcore and pop punk and stuff. So then I got a Schecter, um, Right. With yeah. with no Floyd Rose, I I right. actually I'm off the Floyd Rose train probably forever. Um, they're just a pain in the butt. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I, you know, like they're they're kind of gimmicky. You know, like I'm not Eddie Van Halen, therefore I don't need a Floyd Rose. <laughs> I saw Adam. I, I saw Maiden last year, and uh-huh. they have three lead guitarists, right? Yeah, and they all play like super strats jacksons and fenders with floyd roses yeah and none of them touched the bar once yep like i made it i was like did any of these guys dive bomb or yep. you know do any of that stuff and that's like they played 25 songs and not yep. one time did they grab the bar it's like you just have yep. a floyd rose because you're expected to have a floyd rose <laughs> yeah well i mean it's that's great when you have a guitar tech right a guy that's, of course you, you pay to change your strings and adjust the saddles and get rid of all the buzz and stuff Um, and, and, you know, like I did take advantage of it. Like I probably knew more of like Eddie Van Halen's weird tricks that he would do like whammy bar tricks. Yeah. I knew more stuff like that than actual guitar licks. Like I would, I would fool people because I could do the elephant noise that he would do. Right, Right. You know, like you, you turn the volume off and you hit like three different harmonics and then you push the bar in. And then slowly turn the volume on as you let the bar go. And right. so it's raising in pitch and it just, it sounds like an elephant, you know, it's like screeching or whatever they do. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> yeah. that. So I could do that. I would do all the, you know, the horse noises and like the, you know, I, I got really good at all the tricks to make everyone think I was a good guitar player, even though I wasn't. Um, but you know, now I've just like, and also, I think Floyd Rose are more comfortable to palm mute. That's just my preference. Um, but just for functionality, I just went to the hardtails. They're just so much more convenient, man. Right. I'll tell. I've I've shown it to you before, but I have a, a Charvel hardtail that I love because it's no yep. nonsense. You just change the strings; it's done. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was, it. It took me. It took me a good hour and a half to change the strings on my Frankenstrat today. <laughs> mm. yeah. I was sweating by the end of it, but that, that says a lot about me. <laughs> well, I also have an Ibanez. I don't know what number it is, but the Ibanez takes the ball ball end for its uh-huh. Floyd Rose. It's yeah. not a Floyd Rose. I forget what it's called, an edge. But it's basically like their answer to the Floyd Rose. Okay. And it takes the ball end. So you, that's half the battle right there. Yeah, that's interesting. You know I mean? And it's good. There's people that swear by them. There's people that are like, no, the Ibanez is so much better than the Floyd Rose. Yeah. yeah. But then we had this is a good catch up here. We needed to do this for Eddie to talk. Yeah. And it's a sad time. Thanks for coming on, Jordan. I'm going to do a, um, like I said, a full, you know, multi hour listening tonight. Have yeah. some beers. I can't do the heat like nba just cranks up my anxiety so i'll just wait for the result well well, i'll join you in spirit man i am i'm gonna do a a long listen through on my own and 
you know, definitely text me, uh, you know, any thoughts that you're having, anything you want to chat about recommendations, you know, yeah, like you I, too. I love geeking out about this stuff and you know, it's a, it's a heavy day. It still hasn't hit me yet. Um, but I mean, like I said, it's the, it's the passing of probably the most influential celebrity personality in my entire life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And far too soon. 65 is yep. a young dude. Yeah. But. All right. That's it. Thanks. Canes fans. Um, I don't know what kind of artwork I'm going to put up for this. Don't really care. So anybody that listened this long to us ramble on about this. Thanks for listening. And, um, we'll talk later in the week. I'll probably do another preview for Clemson.